but I encourage you guys to understand and know this, that this is the heart of where we're at in this message right now, is that the author is trying to get the people to understand the powerful name of Jesus. The powerful name, there's no rivals, there's no equal. He's, he's trying to exemplify how great this Jesus is to these people. That's his heart in this message right now. Get it, understand it. That's my heart, too. I want you guys to know and to understand and to do nothing but to praise the awesome, amazing name of Jesus. Why? Because that's what gets you through this life. Just saying his name. Do you agree with that? Amen. You can stay standing. You can sit. It's going to be a long message. <laughs> Today is the first day of spring. Is that correct? <laughs> now, spring is my favorite time of the year. It's number one because we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Christ, but also it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of that resurrection that we've seen life die. Stagnant over winter, right? And then now we get to see this beautiful, awesome thing called life happen before our eyes. We get to see the grass green up. We get to see the buds on the trees turn into leaves. We get to see these beautiful flowers everywhere. It's a great, awesome picture of salvation. When we were once dead, Christ brings us back to life. So we're in the book of Hebrews, and we have to dive right in, because we've got a lot to talk about today, a lot to do. So we're basically in part two of this mini-series <laughs> on chapter six. There's a lot to digest here. So we're right in the middle of the book of Hebrews, um, which if you haven't already understood and come to know, this just it's a truly fascinating letter. In so many ways. The deeper that I get into it, the more convinced I am that no man is smart enough to write this own. We said at the beginning that it was, you know, we don't really know who the author is, but we know that it was breathed by God, right? And we understand this. Okay, let's just settle on the fact that this was written by the Holy Spirit. If you guys have been following along, I think you would agree that the way that this is pieced together must be inspired by the living God. So the book was written for Jewish Christians, converts who had most likely broken away from their main church. And as we have seen with the way the writer addresses them, he knew them well, and he knew that many of them struggled with or were tempted to abandon their faith in Jesus and return back to the ways of the Jewish faith. So instead of maturing in their faith, some had neglected the great salvation that they had received through Christ. So remember that warning that we saw in chapter 2. So some had hardened hearts and most likely drifted. Last week we saw as the writer paused in his explanation of Jesus as the great high priest to address his brothers and sisters with another serious warning. So we read, if you would turn to Hebrews 5, we're going to read over verses 11 through 14 again, and then we're going to get into chapter 6. 
So last week we went over 11 through 14, it says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. The solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We had three main takeaways last week. We had the diagnosis, which was the disease of dullness of hearing. We had the symptoms of that, the childish understanding. And then we had the remedy, the power of discernment. So we saw that your dullness of hearing has you stuck in your faith, he says to them. You should be teachers, yet you're, you're still like children. You should be eating meat, yet you can still only consume milk. So last week we ended with the first three verses of chapter 3. I kind of left it as a challenge to go on to maturity. This morning we're going to be drawing out the meaning of that passage in the following five verses that directly address this warning of apostasy. <clears throat> we'll see a main theme that non-believers within the church will eventually leave and go back into the world, while true believers will mature in their faith. You read with me Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do with God permission. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tested the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Lord, for the great grace that we receive through that name. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, my hope this morning is that it would convict those that need to be convicted. Lord, that they would hear it. They would have the ears to hear it. Lord, that they would receive it and that they would turn away Lord, from their evil ways. God, also that it would spur us on to do good works. That it would encourage us. 
Lord, that we, we have this great, awesome, powerful Jesus who's, who's redeemed us. And that should encourage us and excite us to take this, this truth that we know to the world. Lord, we should grow and mature it, not settle for the, the elementary doctrines of it. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning in the hearts and minds and souls of the people. Lord, and again, that we would have the ears to hear the message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So there are two uh, main points this morning. The first one is to go on to maturity. Verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let us leave the drinking of milk and go on to the eating of solid foods. So we need to understand the context of this. What is this elementary doctrine? So the, the early church had established a catechism for the Jewish converts uh, that was set up in a way that took what they had already known from Judaism and the Old Testament and used it as a springboard for grounding in Christ. So they understood that these people already had a foundation built on the Old Testament, so it built upon that, took that, what they knew, and then springboarded them over to building a foundation in Christ. So this established this elementary doctrine of Christ. If you can imagine these people from the Jewish church coming into the Christian church, and then they had this set up to where they could teach them through it and establish this new faith in Christ. So while still an entry-level understanding for them, it was a much deeper understanding compared to a pagan convert or someone without the in-depth knowledge of the Old Testament. So what was the elementary foundation of Christ? Well, we see that the writer explains that. He says it's repentance from dead works and a faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. So we can categorize these core essentials into three groups. The first one is repentance and faith. Two sides of conversion that start the Christian life. Turning away from the dead works of the law was specifically called out here. And the idea that one could save himself so turn away from the dead works of law and this idea that one could save himself by works. And then also repentance must be joined with faith, personal relationship with God the Father. So if you have an elementary understanding of salvation, you would probably agree with this, right? We repent and we have faith. And then it goes on, so the second point here the second group is baptism and laying out of hands. So they took the customary Jewish teaching about washing and laying out of hands to teach the significance of baptism in the spirit and commissioning for Christian service. So we see what that looks like in Acts 13, where the spirit called Barnabas and Saul, and the elders and the leaders of the church laid hands on them as they were sent out. 
And then the third group here is the resurrection and judgment. So they already had an understanding of these things from the Old Testament scriptures, but we're now taught this pivotal thing that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and also the judge. So having been taught the elementary doctrine, doctrine of Christ, we see these three groups again, repentance and faith, baptism and empowerment, resurrection and judgment. Receiving these basic truths, they had established a foundation of their Christ, Christian faith. So let's get back to this, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on towards maturity. So it seems like these early converts had struggled to grow in their faith. Some had become stagnant in their faith at this elementary stage, while others had actually given up on it completely, slowly slipping back to the ways of Judaism. So again, last week I talked about my children being in Awana, or my children are being taught right now, maybe they're coloring, um, but they're learning about Jesus at this elementary level, right? So now picture my children, again, staying at that elementary level. Is the elementary level bad? No, it's good for them. It's good for them to establish this foundation. But if they continue to color, <laughs> or come home with the, the typical Sunday school Bible answers, right? Will they mature in their faith? Will those kind of be stuck there? So now imagine these early converts kind of being stuck in their elementary doctrine. And the writer challenges them. He says, let us leave the childish behavior. Let us move on from the sipping on of milk. Let us move on to maturity. Let us go on to eating the solid foods, the tough stuff, which will move us on through training and constant practice to gain this power of discernment, which allows us to distinguish good from evil, which will move us on from being childlike in our faith to solid mature believers and teachers. He says, don't settle for infancy. Rather, let us go on to maturity so that we can teach. And for us, we need to be equipped for the tough opportunities. How do we do that? By chewing on the tough meat. I mentioned earlier in the Bible study hour of a friend that I have, he's in his mid-70s, and he was asking me some tough questions yesterday. Had I maintained and stayed in my elementary understanding of Christ and salvation, and he asked these tough questions, what would my response have been? How would I have known the answers? And honestly, I would have completely missed the opportunity to point him to Christ. He was asking me questions like, so can we really pray? Can we really speak directly to God? How do we do that? Well, I had to know. It's 
not because of my, this isn't boost body group up. This is just over time and years of chewing on the tough stuff that have given me this opportunity to share wisdom with them. That's what the author, the writer here is trying to get these people to get. You have to leave behind that elementary doctrine. It's good. It's not getting rid of it. He says, not laying again a foundation. So think of this for a moment. What is a foundation? Think of a house. Some of you, some of you have built houses. Okay? What happens first when you build a house? You lay a foundation. So now imagine that you've hired a builder. He's been out on site for, I don't know how long it takes, a month. He's like, yeah, I'm laying the foundation. Great. Month two rolls around, you get back out there. Like, I'm still laying this foundation. You get out there and realize that you just kept building the foundation on top of the foundation on top of the foundation. Like, well, what are you doing? It's like, well, I built a, a foundation. It's a, it's a very strong foundation. Yeah, but why did you keep laying the foundation? Well, I, was, I never moved on past that. Like I was taught, I went to builder school, I learned how to build a foundation, and I just, man, this is great, build this foundation, and that's all I know, is to build a foundation. So I just kept laying the foundation. What would you say to that builder? Why did I hire you? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this now? I can't live in this. So now think of this, this laying again a foundation. Some of the recipients were so caught up in the foundational truths of the faith that they failed to move on past them towards maturity. The writer's saying, good job. You've got it figured out. Don't leave it. But it's time to go on to building the structure. Why? So you don't become stagnant or drift away. We need to be growing in our faith. Again, think of the Sunday school thing, the Sunday school analogy of just continuing on with that. We've already got a stack of, of colored pictures. <laughs> At some point, those coloring books and pictures need to move on to something different. Right? There's nothing wrong with coloring books, but imagine if I brought you guys in the circle this morning. We're reading through the book of Hebrews, and I have you guys color a picture. Would you learn something, maybe? But what if you stayed in that? And then what if you were confronted with someone in the world that had these tough questions? Not only that, but what if you were confronted by God? It says this, he goes on to say, this we will do if God permits. So we can read this as we can't go on to maturity without God. But we can also read this as we will go on to maturity with God. He permits us to go on to maturity 
but are we? The question for us today is, have you been become stagnant? You know the foundation. You're good at it. Is that where you've been stuck? Or are you growing in your faith? Or are you in the same spot that you were a year ago? Are you in the same spot that you were five years ago? Or ten years ago? Or maybe you've just completely left it. second beginning. Many people believe this to be the most terrifying warning in the New Testament. So let's look at the warning here. Verses 4 through 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. That can be scary. How do we view it? How do we understand it? <clears throat> so there's three different views here. There's a hypothetical view that thinks that this is just a hypothetical situation that can't actually happen and won't actually happen. It's more of a, a what-if scenario. So a warning to prevent Christians leaving the faith. problem with that view, the hypothetical view, is that this passage isn't speaking to something that's hypothetical. Remember where we've been in Hebrews to get to this point. Understand and know that there were people that were leaving the church. There's also the, the actual view here which is those who fall away are actual believers. They're people who have repented, who believe and are baptized. True, faithful followers of Jesus. This actual view would say that any Christian is capable of leaving their faith. So these are real Christians that were sold out, given their life to Christ, they've been born again, and now they've fallen away. There's a, a pretty major problem with that view. There's many, many verses in Scripture that rule that out. Rule out the possibility of a true born-again believer 
leaving the faith, rejecting it, and walking away. We look at Romans 8, 38-39, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate those who believe or true believers from God. Nothing in this world, and definitely not you choosing to walk away. <laughs> Get that? Nothing can separate us, those who are actual believers, from the love of God. Being born again, nothing. So here's the, the tough reality for a lot of us. If people fall away from their faith, they never really had it to begin with. This is the view that most people have. It's the, the apparent view. This is what our church has as well. Those who fall away are not true believers. Rather, people who only appear to be. It's a warning to those who have tasted and seen yet have not become genuine followers of Christ. It says those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come. The writer he's calling out four things that these people, but also all believers, experience. Those who have been enlightened, they heard the good news and even responded to it. Got some friends I've talked about, some evangelical friends that have missions, and they go out and they do altar calls. And while I love to see people wanting to commit their lives through Christ, there's this, the seriousness of this question here is just raising your hand. Is that, is that what solidifies your faith? These people who have been enlightened, they heard the good news and responded to it. Then he goes on to say, those who have tasted the heavenly gift, blessings that come to Christians, they may have even shown some of the fruits of the Spirit. And he says those who shared in the Spirit, showing signs of regeneration, they even look like believers. They tasted God's good word and the powers of the age to come. They knew and understood the gospel fully. And tasted here is not just a small taste. The word used for tasted is the same word used to describe Jesus tasting death in chapter 2. So did Jesus just get a, a small taste of death? Just a little lick? I don't think so. He had fully tasted death. Why? In order to fully defeat it. 
And here in the same way, these people that, that the writer is trying to get to, they fully experience this Christian life. They show up to church. They sing the songs. They listen to the sermon. They hear the word. They might even partake in communion. Yet they are not regenerate believers. How do we know that? Because their dullness of hearing, their hardened hearts, kept them as children in the faith, relying on the elementary doctrine, which ultimately lead them to fall away. They came, they enjoyed, then they left. They go back to their old ways. For the Hebrews, they went back to practicing Judaism. They went back to their old lives. Jeanette and I were doing marriage counseling. Um, our pastor had told us that you know, they had hired a, a lady to lead the uh, child care ministry in the church. I forget how long she'd been there. It was a while. It was like a long while, like five or more years of a while. And she came in, um, and she'd done a great job. And she came in one day, and she said, you know, uh, Pastor, I just can't do this anymore. He's thinking, well, maybe she burned out or something. He's like, well, why? Well, I just don't, I don't believe any of this. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, yeah, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this. That's a true story. Now there's some fault on the church for putting this person in that position. But imagine that. I mean, I, I don't think that, I mean, there hadn't been a reason that brought her there, but she partook in all the things. For us today, we can see this with people who make that profession of faith, live a life within the church, yet they give in to their temptations. They drift back living in the world. Basically, my this is my life verse. It's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I can't go back to the, the Bobby, the old Bobby. Is there remnants of the old Bobby? Yes. But this Christ was in me. Why? Because I've been crucified with him. My old life is dead. <coughs> that Bobby doesn't exist anymore. If I live this life and it's been really 12 years ago is when I committed my life to Christ. I was baptized. So 12 years. Say tomorrow I go back to living the old way. What does that say? I probably just walked away from faith. <laughs> Didn't like it anymore. Or would that say that I never really believed it? Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. 
To fall away, to neglect this great salvation is to hold Christ up to contempt, to crucify him all over again. You can't be born again, again. Okay? You're either born again or you're not. Now think of G Judas in this scenario. Judas walked with Jesus. He's one of the twelve. Did Judas just wake up one day and say he didn't believe anymore? Or did he never believe? Think of Jesus' words. He said, many will come declaring, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did mighty works. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's possible. He's saying here that it's possible to live a life that way. It's possible to be a part of a church. It's, part of, it's possible to be a member of a church, to partake in communion, to do all these things, to see, sing the songs, to hear the word, and never fully believe it. He goes on to give an example, verses 7 and 8. He says, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God, but if, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. A land that was beneficial for crop received rain, yet produced thorns and thistles was to be burned. We see this in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got out into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. This is the people we're talking about. And he says, other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Again, the same people. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Again, a warning to the people. Are these seeds firmly planted in good soil? Are they, are they being watered and fed? And are they producing good, solid roots? Or are they just germinating on, on hard ground? see that grass you're trying to plant grass for me I try to get the grass to grow in the grass it usually grows on the pavement it sprouts up quickly there now what happens it's scorched it dies I have friends that have come to the church that I've encouraged to come to the church they came they were all in they sprouted up quickly and they were scorched my family the same way This is a reminder for us this morning. The 
should hopefully convict those who are not born again and spur on those of us who are to do good works. We need to leave the elementary doctrine of our faith. We need to start building upon it. And we need to examine our faith. What is it that you believe? Are you truly born again? leave it there next week there's some encouragement to all of us so I encourage you guys to come back next week for part 3 there's some encouragement we're about to enter into a time of communion I think it's important for us to Think back of what the good news is. What is it that you've heard? This Jesus, and I, I can only speak for myself here, right? That it's, it's my life and my testimony that my life, if, if you guys knew the old body, he wouldn't be welcome right here. Okay? thankfully by grace that God came into my life and turned my life around and made me, made me why? Because I had nowhere else to turn. I was at a rock bottom dead end road. The only way to go from there was to die, literally, physically, or to repent to turn away from it completely. And in that repentance, I realized that I had been forgiven. That my God loves me. He no longer, this is what I told to my friend yesterday on the phone. God no longer views us as these sinful people. He views us as this Jesus, this powerful name of Jesus, this great, awesome God who came down and lived a perfect, sinless life, who died fully, defeated death fully, and resurrected out of it, now sits at the right hand of the Father. And that we now have access to the Father through Him. And it's not by our own doing, but it's by that great grace. That's the good news, is that there's still hope. We, chapter 2 talks about today. There's hope today for us. Today, and also today, in this time. Don't wait until tomorrow, though. Understand and know this good news. If you haven't fully received it, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't seen this redemption, if your life hasn't changed, if you haven't crucified your old life, I challenge you to do it today. Pray to God. My friend asked me, God, Bobby, can you pray for me? Yes, I can. And I'm going to pray that, that God would come into your life and that you would crucify your old life and that you'd give it up completely and not live a life just completely glorifying and honoring Him. And I pray that for everyone here today, I pray that for my friends that I said walk away from the faith. I pray that for my family. And I pray that as a church, we be these people that take this good news into the world. That we build off of that foundation. Not just settle there, but build off of it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this, this challenging truth this morning. 
Lord, that there's people that we know who, who profess to know you, that profess to, to be believers, Lord, that partook in it with us, that partook in it, Lord, glorifying and honoring you, that some even, Lord, have, have served in ministry roles. Some have looked the part. They appear to be Christians. Lord, and these people have, have walked away from the faith. Why? Because they, they never really knew you. Lord, we pray for these people today. Lord, we, we, we ask for your grace on these people. Lord, this mercy for these people. Lord, it says it's impossible for them to come back. Well, we believe that they never had it. If they've never had it, now there's a possibility. Lord, let's pray for them today. Lord, these our friends, our family that don't know you who've come. Their, their seeds have sprouted up and, and been burned away. Lord, we pray that you would give them grace, that you would soften their hearts, that you give them ears to hear the truth, Lord, and that you would give them eyes to seek it. Lord, and as we enter into this time of communion, Lord, we thank you that you no longer view us as the <coughs> sinful people, Lord. You now view us as Christ through his death and burial and resurrection. Lord, we thank you so much. We love you in Jesus' name.